did for the youth during D now. This is uh, the first time I've done this, <laughs> so um, bear with me as I'm learning, and uh, and um, definitely pray that God um, gives me the words to speak. Um, tonight's passage, uh, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, is in Matthew five verses seventeen through twenty. Um, to stay in the greater context of the Sermon on the Mount, remember that Jesus, having finished the Beatitudes, has called his disciples to be salt and light. Um, that was all in the previous passage. This is a call to be distinct, set apart from the world, pointing others to give glory to God type of people. A call to not forget why we were created, which is to show the world the worth of God. This is Proclaimed clearly in verse 16. Um, Let me read that uh, really quick. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. One question easily raised is, what are the good works with which we point others to our Father? Um, There's the law that God gave the Israelites. Is keeping this law the good works? Uh, On the other hand, Jesus had taken many occasions to criticize the religious leaders of the day who hypocritically kept the law. Add on top of this that Jesus kept referring to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Did this mean there would be no more law and prophets? Uh, Tonight's passage begins to unpack this answer. It's a transition point in the chapter. Jesus is confirming the purpose of the law and how God truly means for us to keep it. Um, let us read uh, tonight's passage, and uh, as you're comfortably able, would you please um, stand? <clears throat> Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. Let us delve into these first two verses. Here Jesus first states that he isn't abolishing the law or the prophets. He isn't replacing them. He isn't doing away with them. Rather, he is fulfilling them. Now, what does Jesus mean by fulfillment? The word in Greek is pleroo, and actually covers a wide range of meaning. Uh, Its most common words mean to satisfy, fill up, perfect, or accomplish. The picture this word paints is the fullness and completeness of the law and prophets that Jesus embodies. How exactly does Jesus fulfill the law and prophets? First, and what probably comes to mind the easiest, is the prophetic foretelling of the person of Christ, his ministry, death, and resurrection. There are over 400 prophecies and appearances and foreshadowings of Christ in the Old Testament. And indeed, the, the apostles seem to find references to Christ on almost every page of the Old Testament. Jesus himself spoke of this in John 5.39 when he told the Jews, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness about me. Secondly, we also know Christ fulfilled the law in his perfect obedience to it. In 1 Peter 2.22, Peter tells us, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Without sinning, Christ was able to perform all that the law required of him, becoming the one and only example of what God requires of all people, no sin. And finally, in the ceremonial laws and sacrifices, we see a system that looked forward and hoped towards Christ, the final, great, and ultimate sacrifice for all sins and for all time. Christ was, in every way, a completion of the law and prophets. This is why he didn't abolish the law. The law is very much a part of who Christ is. Jesus goes on to affirm that until all is accomplished, not the smallest part of the law will pass away. To understand this sentence, uh, we must dig into uh, two separate components. First, we need to understand what Jesus means by until all is accomplished. What needs to be accomplished? When will that be accomplished so that the law does pass away? Um, The second has to deal with what we do with the law until it passes. Uh, Does this mean we need to participate in the ceremonial laws? Uh, Can we not eat certain foods? Let's tackle the first question. When will all be accomplished? The answer is in two parts. First, through his death and resurrection... Christ brought to full fruition the sacrificial, ceremonial, and civil laws. Uh, We'll deal with this in full in a second, but um, this is part of the the fulfillment of the law, the the, the accomplishing of the law that that he talked about in verse 17. Um, The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews 8. They, that is the offerings of gifts and sacrifices, serve as a copy of, and shadow of the heavenly things. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. However, this doesn't remove the law of God as the absolute authority for right and wrong, or else Christ would indeed have abolished the law. The writer of Hebrews goes on to explain that through the new covenant, we can now more perfectly keep the law. The law has been partially accomplished or fulfilled through the cross, but until Christ comes again in power and glory, the law of God stands as the revelation of the perfect character and holiness of God. Now, this answer helps us with the second question. So what are we to do with the law until it passes? Um, In verse 19 of our text, uh, Jesus warns us that we need to continue to obey all the commandments and teach them. So, does this mean we need to have a priesthood, or go worship in the temple, or only eat certain foods, or be unclean if we touch dead bodies or blood? Paul dealt with this issue in Galatians. Paul wrote this letter because there was a group of false teachers that had risen, trying to convince the church in Galatia that they had to be circumcised and follow all these, uh, a form of, of Judaism that required Um, obtaining righteousness via works of the law. It was reverting back to what the Jews had been practicing. In this letter, Paul tells the Galatians that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith in Jesus Christ. Another way to put this is that now the law is not the path to righteousness. Christ is. The ultimate goal of the law is that we would look to Christ, not law-keeping, 
for our righteousness. Therefore, with the coming of Christ, everything has changed. Through faith, we now obey the law in the lens that Christ's fulfillment has provided. Um, Let's look at some examples. Here are five Old Testament commandments, or groups of commandments, uh, with accompanying verses showing how Christ has changed them from old to the new. Um, First, the bloody sacrifice of animals has stopped because Christ fulfilled all that they were pointing toward. He was the final one-time sacrifice for sins, Hebrews 9.12. He entered for once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Second, the priesthood that mediated between worshiper and God has been removed. In Christ our Lord is our priest. Hebrews 7, 23 and 24. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Third, the physical temple has ceased to be a physical location of worship. Now Christ himself is our center for worship. He is our place, our tent, our temple where we meet God. Um, In John 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Fourth, The food laws that distinguished Israel from the Gentiles are no longer required. Now our faith in Christ is what separates us from the world. Mark 7, 18 through 19. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Um, Fifth, the establishment of civil law on the basis of an ethnically rooted people who are ruled directly by God has ceased. The people of God are no longer a unified political body or an ethnic group or a nation state, but we are all exiles and sojourners among all ethnic groups in all states. In Romans... 13.1, Paul tells us, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. John 18.36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. So we can see that although the law is still present and does exist um, as God's standard of what is right and wrong, um, we still, all of the law has been transformed and, and, and moved into a new, new covenant through Christ's fulfillment of it. So, um, by the law, the world is still judged, but the practice of it is a result of our faith rather than a means of our salvation. Just as true Israel is no longer ethnic Israel, the law of God is no longer ceremonial and civil. Um, One last thought on on verse 19 before we move on is uh, notice the consequence of relaxing commandment and and teaching others to do the same. Um, The the consequence is that you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this kind of confused me for a second. When I I first read it, I, I thought, 
Well, that's strange. I would expect Jesus to say, if you relax any commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be cast out of the kingdom of heaven. Um, isn't that what he should have said? But then I realized my error in that train of thought. If relaxing a commandment results in expulsion from the kingdom, then we all have no chance. Uh, because we all daily break the law of God. This would bypass Christ as our salvation and make obedience to the law a requirement for righteousness again. But thank God that he has removed this barrier to a right standing before him. Keeping the law is not a requirement for salvation. But breaking his commands still is a sin against God and belittles God's character. Christ still calls us to pursue righteousness. In verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, uh, Jesus instructs us that... Um, oh, as, as I was going to read the verse there. Um, what was the fault of the scribes and Pharisees? It was that although they zealously followed the law, they did it with a hypocritical self-righteousness. They were attempting to show everyone that they were worthy of their own praise. As Isaiah prophesied, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What does God really desire from us? A righteousness that doesn't read the law and attempt to follow the letter of the law, but a righteousness that looks to the commandments of God and makes war on the heart of flesh we all have. This verse will set the pattern for the rest of this chapter. It's going to go something like this. Uh, Jesus will um, bring up a known command with, you have heard it said, and then a statement, you know, don't commit adultery. And then he'll follow it with, but I say to you, and state uh, what a renewed heart should follow. Um, If you lust after a woman, then you've already committed adultery. What does this show? It shows that God doesn't want a fake servitude or or a service of just willpower. You can just not commit adultery through willpower. You just don't do it. But God doesn't want us to really want to sin and, and hold ourselves in check. He wants a heart that loves God and his holiness so much and and no one, none of us can make that change on our own. You can't change what your heart wants. It takes the miraculous working of grace in our lives to produce a heart that genuinely wants to obey the commands of God. So, some points of application. First, obey the commands of God and teach others how to be obedient. Many today twist the fulfillment of the law to mean that there are no commandments to follow. They attempt to paint a picture of a God who just loves people and doesn't really care about what they do so long as they just love God back and love others. Uh, This is a gross distortion of God and his law. Yes, God is a God of love. But make no mistake, God very much cares about right and wrong. He is still a God of holiness and justice and vengeance. He is jealous to vindicate his righteousness. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And we who have received the gift of faith through grace are dead to sin. To turn back to the sins we have been forgiven of is to turn away from Christ. 
We all must make war against the passions of our flesh that still remain with us in our own mortal bodies until we die or Christ comes again. So pursue God and love to keep his commandments. Second, on the reverse side of this, beware of becoming like the scribes and the Pharisees. It is easy to slip into the mindset of our works preceding our faith. How many times I've personally fallen into this trap thinking if I could just fix this one sin or show my righteousness to God and ministry to others or, or get into a right mindset, then, then I can have a good relationship with God. Then I'll have a right standing with Him. Oh, the dangers of this mentality to prioritize your works over Christ's fulfillment of the law, His death and punishment for your sins, to forget that the only right standing before God was achieved the moment we put our faith in His Son is to betray the truth of the gospel. We have been set free from that bondage, so don't dare return to the slavery of the law. This will result in one of two things. Either a self-righteous arrogance and hypocrisy where by our own might we prove to God how good we are, or in despair and misery that we can never be perfect or attain righteousness. Let us rather live in the glorious proclamation of Romans 8 two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Um, As we wrap up tonight and prepare for the Lord's Supper, rejoice in this fact. Christ has fulfilled the law so that righteousness is received as a gift through faith in him. Rejoice that you are freed from the bondage of working your own righteousness and you are now free to serve the Lord in joyful obedience. Let us pray.